Network Design Principle Resiliency, Episode 64. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, we strive to provide real-world context around technology. I'm Zig, and I'm your host, as always. Today, we have another network design principle show. Today, we're going to highlight resiliency. Network design principles are critical to helping designers create valid networks. We need these principles to help us create those those networks that are going to be successful. Now, not all principles will be leveraged or used in every situation. But as a network designer, you should know them. And you should be able to make the decisions in real time if you need to address it or not. Now, resiliency is one of those network design principles that have become an unstated requirement. I like to compare this, as always, to a power and plumbing in a house. Having just recently built a house, I was never asked if I wanted power. I was never asked if I wanted plumbing. These were just unstated requirements. They were just unstated and table stakes, if you will, items that I got. As that is for a house, when we talk about resiliency and a few other principles as we go through these episodes, these are these principles are unstated requirements from a networking perspective. Businesses, customers require them, but they never tell us they're a requirement. They're, they're expecting it. They're assuming that it's going to be there. So what is resiliency? I like to define this as the ability of the network to automatically fail over when an outage occurs. So IE or example here, you do not have to do anything for this to happen. The key takeaway there is that you already did it in the design phase, in the implementation phase. The steps have already been taken. The network for itself is able to automatically fail over. Now, how far the network can automatically fail over is determined based on the requirements of that business, the application, the environment. But the whole point is that for resiliency, we don't do anything for the environment to automatically fail over. How resilient is that network? I always like to picture myself in bed, asleep, dreaming of those zeros and ones. While I'm dreaming of these zeros and ones, all of those binary numbers, a router in my production network or in your production network has a critical failure, goes down. If your network isn't resilient, you would be called paged immediately to come and resolve that issue, assuming that it was a you know business impacting issue. So now let's say you have a network that is designed with resiliency in mind. That router goes down offline and your traffic is immediately rerouted through another router or another link or some sort of other resilient path, if you will. Your users and customers, uh, they might lose connectivity for a few seconds, if at all, you are no longer called or paged in the middle of your dream of binary numbers and zeros and ones. This is a resilient environment. This is how resiliency works. This is resiliency in action. There are many forms of resiliency. And the more resilient a network is, the more it costs to create and implement. So that that resiliency, that factor goes up. And correspondingly, so does the cost. Also, so does the complexity in most cases. So when I say complexity, I also have this 
tangent on as the complexity rises, so does your skilled resources. You know, the level of quality of your resources, meaning people, staff, their skill sets have to rise too. So when you have a complex environment and you can't hide that complexity in some fashion, then you need skills, skilled uh, staff members to operate and manage that environment. Uh, they're going to have to be at a different level level set skill set. So let's talk about different levels of resiliency. The most familiar concept is no single single points of failure. So no single points of failure, and then the other one we're going to talk about is no dual points of failure. The latter isn't as common, but it's still something that we should talk about. So no single points of failure directly increases the resiliency. And like I said, it also increases cost and potentially complexity. But the key here is that you no longer have or can have one link to a resource or one device performing that critical role. You now have another device, another link. Now that can be physical or virtual, but you have something else that is also doing that function or that purpose. That means you have no single points of failure. As we do this, we increase complexity. If we had one router before, one switch, and we are interconnecting our servers or our clients or whatever, now we have two routers, we have two switches. When we have two switches, we probably need something like spanning tree. We probably need some sort of architectural or sound design for two routers and VLANs and default gateways and subnets. If it was one switch and one router, we may not, but then we don't have that resiliency. Now, when we talk about no dual points of failure, right? What we mean there is that we, we kind of exponentially increase that requirement from single points of failure to dual points of failure, but it's, it's a bigger change than what we think. If you have a design on paper and you have dual failure points, that is an extremely complex way to resolve this resiliency issue or this resiliency requirement, if you will. No dual points of failure is a pretty large task for any designer to implement, to create a design, have it implemented, and validate those failure situations. You literally have to go through and document every failure state and what is going to happen in that failure state. So if you have a failure situation, do you, what is the alternative path? What is the alternative success criteria? And then what happens in that, that third option? Because again, we're not just talking about two states. We're talking about three states. We're talking about our preferred state, our secondary state, and then our final state, our third state. In all those three states, that path, that data, that application should still be online and accessible. Again, this is automatic. The idea is that this is man this is not manual work. You implement it or you design it, you implement it, you walk away, and this is going to happen on its own as things go up or down. There is no manual intervention here. We're talking about from a resiliency perspective, you don't have to do anything. This is going to automatically fall over and automatically fall back. So when you're doing this process for no dual points of failure, um, it can be very hard to picture each of these failure situations. So I recommend actually whiteboarding it, putting it down on paper, documenting it, and doing it with the group, right? So that the, the business, the customer, they see these different failure situations and they understand what the correct success criteria is for each failure situation. 
From a business perspective, we could see this as a requirement in the form of a business line of effort and the level of criticality it has. So what happens if that business, that moneymaker goes offline for 60 seconds? And I love asking that question from the customers. Maybe they have a SaaS application that they, you know, custom built SaaS application, but it's a single server, single application. There is no redundancy, no resiliency built into it. So what happens if that application goes offline for 60 seconds? How about two hours? Well, now they just lost their entire business, right? What happens if Netflix goes offline? Think of that, right? What happens if Netflix goes offline and there's no way for you to access Netflix? It's not resilient enough for you to connect. What's the impact to Netflix if the entire world can't access Netflix at the same time? What's the risk versus cost of that resiliency? What's the risk versus cost in general of implementing no single points of failure? right? That is the question. That's a business statement, right? What is the risk versus cost to implement that resiliency level? Now, as a designer, these are six, these are discussions you have to have with the business. You have to bring it back to the business. It's a business decision, but the business leaders, those business lines of effort that they are managing, they do not understand the technical criteria all the time. They don't understand the technical language. So we as designers have to bring that information back to them and show them the value and the pros and cons, the risk versus cost. And again, cost doesn't have to be money. Cost can be anything, resources, staffing, etc. So there's a risk and there's a cost to do everything. The business needs to make that decision. So that's one of our main jobs as a designer is to bring that information to the forefront so that business leader can actually intelligently make those real-time decisions. So from a, a technical perspective, how do we ensure the network is resilient and so that we don't get a phone call, we don't get woken up in the middle of the night, and the network can automatically fail over, depending on the criteria, right? Again, let's, let's think in general resiliency levels, not single points of failure and dual points of failure here. So there's a number of solutions that we can um, leverage. I would say solutions and technologies here, right? That can help us increase the resiliency. And um, I would first mention like something like BFD. Uh, we got loop free avoidance, LFAs. You got equal cost multipathing, ECMP. You got unequal cost load balancing, depending on the routing protocols you're leveraging. You got traffic engineering, and I'm not talking necessarily MPLS, TE. I'm talking just general traffic engineering having multiple default routes out to the internet. That's all part of this. If you lose one exit point to your network, do you have another exit point? Maybe you're consuming an application that's on the internet, but you lose one of your internet links on your ISP links. What do you do from a design perspective to ensure that everything fails over to an alternate ISP link? What about your NATing situation? What about if you're hosting tr your own services behind those internet routers? How do you ensure that this is all resilient and that you do not have to do anything? Let's do some modern technologies. The advent of software-defined technologies. So we have application-aware routing. So now we can do some sort of application policy that says this application can move to this location or that location or go over these devices. On that same thread, we have dynamic path determination. And that's dependent on the health of the underlying circuits or paths. Maybe you're using two different internet circuits. Thinking like software-defined WAN here, software-defined wide area network. Maybe your first path over internet A is degraded, whatever it might be. Your policy moves that traffic over to your other internet link. That makes it a resilient network. I've seen some customer environments that have 
eight internet circuits between two different locations, so four and four. And the whole point is so that they have resiliency, not just high availability, which we'll get into in the future. The key here is that resilient itself, we want to define it. We want to understand it. Let's think of the modern network design perspective. It is on you as a designer to determine if resiliency is something you need to design for. And in most cases, customers will no, no longer state that they need it. They won't, they won't say they need a resilient network. They will assume this is a requirement and you're supposed to know that. Now here's the key. You need to determine what level of resiliency is needed. And this is the hard part. This is hard because you also need to weigh in the cost and complexity increases a true resilient network would be. And sometimes you have to push back on that business, on that customer, on your own environment, your own leaders, business leaders there, to let them know that they would either need to increase their budget or accept the risk of a less resilient network design. So that's the biggest takeaway out of it today. You, as a designer, need to have the ability to push back on these business leaders. Let them know that there's a risk and there's a cost and there's a complexity. And you can't have it all. And it's on you, as that designer, to show them what they can get and what it's going to cost. Hey, friends, that's going to close out today's episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast. Thank you all for listening. I extremely appreciate it, as always. If you like today's episode, you can send me a note at zig at zigbits.tech. You can always go to the show notes, which are going to be at zigbits.tech slash 64. Zigbits.tech slash 64. We're going to keep doing these smaller shows and some of these guest expert shows, too. We got a couple more coming on. They're going to be DevNet. DevOps themed episodes, and they are coming pretty soon. All right, my friends, until next time, bye for now.